This podcast was originally recorded live as an episode of Smart Talk, WITF's morning show. You'll hear some breaks for underwriting and listeners calling in, but the political discussion is the same as always. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm WITF Capitol Bureau Chief Katie Meyer, sitting in for a vacationing Scott Lamar. Joining us today are Charles Thompson, state government reporter for Penn Live, and Steve Essick, the morning calls Harrisburg correspondent. Charlie, Steve, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, oh, and that was Charlie on the phone. Um, so we have uh, a lot to discuss today. The Senate passed a revenue proposal of its own after getting some proposals from the House in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's it was a little bit of a departure from previous proposals that it, you know includes a menu of different tax options, which is something the governor has been pushing for, um, but something that the GOP has been resisting for you know several years, many years. So um, I guess Steve, start with you. What were your takeaways from you know the, the political shenanigans surrounding this uh, new revenue proposal? I thought. Um well, uh, look, last Saturday or Saturday, uh, House Speaker Mike Terzai, Republican out of Allegheny County, challenged the Senate and the governor to sh- show him their the, um, show him and his caucus their cards. And the Senate did that starting on Wednesday and then on Thursday. And I thought it showed um, uh, political courage on the part of Senate Republicans, particularly Senate Majority Leader Jake Corman and Senate President Pro Tem Joe, Joe Scarnati, um, two, two Republicans from two Republican areas. So I thought that was um, I, I thought that showed guts on their part and and some uh, real leadership to get that through their caucus. Yeah, absolutely. And Charlie, anything uh, anything you want to add on that? Well, um, you know, the, the thing I, – I, I just think the thing that was uh, sort of semi-astonishing about it is that the plan that was passed um, includes a shale tax. And a shale tax has been a, a running part of the state's fiscal debate for a decade, ever since we ever first heard the, the name Marcellus Shale. Um, you know, politicians have been figuring out a way to, to get some tax money out of it starting with uh, former Governor Ed Rendell. And, um, you know, it, it was always sort of like, well, sure, some people want it, but, but the people that really control the, the levers of power don't or are resisting for whatever reason. And um, after a while, you just sort of, you, you sort of think like, uh, oh, the shale tax, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, guess what? This time the Senate actually... Um, muscled up and, and, and passed a shale tax. And it, it's, not, it's not the full proposal that Governor Wolf uh, would have designed on his own by, by any stretch of the imagination. But, but it's kind of a significant, uh, it's a significant piece of the budget, and it's one that can grow in, in future years. So I'm still kind of, um, uh, kind of pinching myself as in, you know, on the sense of like, wow, that really happened. Yeah, it was definitely um, it was a big reversal from you know what negotiations had been going towards previously. And I, I do want to say, and we'll get into the specifics of what's in this revenue plan because there's a lot of taxes to break down. But uh, you know what we're hearing from Senate Republicans right now. I mean, over and over, Jake Corman, the Senate Majority Leader, a Republican, was saying, you know, this is. We're out of options. He was sort of he was trying to convince members to support this thing, 
saying that we really do need revenue. And, to, you know, for context, we've got a $2 billion hole in this budget, $2.2 billion. Um, it's a $32 billion budget. The spending plan has already been passed. They're waiting to come up with these new revenues. Um, and so what did we see from members? It was sort of – it was a pretty split vote in the Senate. Uh, Steve. Yeah, it, it, it really was. You had uh... – Republicans support it. Republicans oppose it. Democrats support it. Democrats oppose it. It was the closest vote I've seen in my four years covering it. It was a 26-24 vote um, right down to the wire. And it was uh, actually a lot closer than the Appropriations Committee vote the, the, the night before. So that, I think that caught people off guard. And it took them a while to tally up that vote um, on, uh, th- on, on Thursday. Yeah, yesterday. It feels like everything's just happening. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to keep track of what day everything happens. But yeah, Charlie, um have you been hearing anything from members? I know you've been talking to people. Um well, just uh you know, just to that that last point, um I'm just kind of looking over it and uh I think Steve, you you probably know this. Um it looks like there were 14 Republican votes for it and 12 Democrat votes for it um, to get that 26-24 margin for the tax bill. And, um, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, it breezed through the Appropriations Committee the night before, 19 to 5. And um, I kind of thought that we'd see a final passage vote in the 30s. But I think what happened, this is just kind of a educated guess, but I think what happened there was that you know, th- th- this is uncharted territory for the uh, Pennsylvania General Assembly to actually um, light the fuse on a tax bill, vote it, and send it over to the other chamber when the other chamber hasn't agreed to it. Because now all these members have this um, tax vote on their record, and they're kind of hanging out there with their hides exposed while, while uh, people wait to see what the House is going to do. And in the meantime, every interest group that's affected by this tax bill and some that aren't, you know, take pot shots at it. And um, so I I think what we saw there was maybe a classic, um, we're going to provide safe haven for as many of our members as possible. Um, As long as we have the 26 votes, some of you guys can can vote no if you want. and, uh, you know, it, I say that because of that, that carefully crafted – it has the look and feel of one of those things where each party was required to put up a, a certain share of votes. And, you know, 14 to 12, um, 14 Republicans and 12 Democrats making a 26-24 vote. I, I have a feeling that that's a very solid 26, and, and maybe that's a number that could grow if um, – if the House actually gets on board, mm. and this yeah. does have to come back. Yeah, uh, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the changes. big question remaining here. The yeah. House still has to get on board. And right. I, let's, we'll get into that in some more detail a little bit later. But, Steve, do you want to add something? Yeah. Um, speaking of, of the politics, I, I had been predicting for um, – several months for a while that um, I I thought a shale tax would happen because the pipelines that are going in are moving east. So I thought thought Republican lawmakers in both chambers um, would have to um, 
go along with with that kind of tax because as residents in central Pennsylvania and Lehigh Valley, their their property is, is being affected, they could turn around to their constituents and say, yes, I, I got you a severance tax finally. But the opposite happened, especially with two Democrats, like from the Lehigh Valley, uh, Senator Lisa Boscola, and from Chester County, Senator Andy Dinneman right. were complaining that the severance tax wasn't enough. They wanted a separate impact fee. That was shocking, the uh, politics of, of their claims, because I had never heard that yet. And I th- actually think it was easier for some Republicans to turn around, like especially in the Philadelphia suburbs, and say, I finally got you a shale tax, where the overriding sentiment uh, among in polls is – the public supports that. So I was really kind of taken aback by Boscola and and Dinneman's political statements. Yeah, as very, very, I mean, it was adamant, too. It wasn't just, it was um, very passionate floor speeches that we saw and that stuff. So yeah, very complicated politics. And it's not just by party, it's by region. It's by, you know, who people's constituents are, who's going to be affected by these taxes and, you know, by the pipelines that go along with the Marcellus Shale. Um, I do want to get into, before we go to a break here, um, you know, how are these taxes going to affect people? And we'll start with the severance tax. Um, You know, this tax, it's earmarked to add $100 million into the budget, which is not a huge amount of money, but it's I mean, it's politically significant that this happened, but uh, a lot of concern among Republicans that this is going to hand down and some Democrats, too, is going to hand down cost to taxpayers. Um, You know, Charlie, anything to that? Um, Honestly, um, I'm not sure if I I know enough about that (laughs) to uh, to answer that um, really intelligently. Uh, I mean, you know, I think I can anticipate your next question. I mean, I think the other piece of that um, tax puzzle is very definitely going to hand down um, extra costs to households, and that's the gross receipts tax. That but, is the gross receipts but, tax. But that is the that is the piece that that um, formed part of this tax marriage that got this whole package moving. Um, you know, they 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 have a. a big chunk of money that they are getting from the gross receipts tax, which is, in, in my shorthand for listeners, um, I, I like to refer to that as sort of like a sales tax on utilities right. that you pay. And um, so that package of increases in gross receipts was going to raise about $400 million, and that was pretty close to those uh, things that they don't like to do around here these days called the broad-based tax, because anybody that is hooked up to natural gas or anybody that pays a light bill is going to feel that tax. And honestly, it's, I believe it's, it's going to be something in the range of like um, for the natural gas piece alone, which is the biggest uh, anywhere from like $5, $6, $7 a month for the average household. Hmm. I think Um, the number was, it was $5 and 70 cents per every hundred dollars a household spends on natural gas. Exactly. Right. And, um, I know uh, just talking to somebody in the Pittsburgh area, I'm not a natural gas customer myself, so I don't have personal experience, <laughs> but um, they said in Pittsburgh the average monthly bill is about $75 a month, so it, it figured to about 475 a month for, for that consumer family. 
likely higher in Philadelphia um, because the gas rates run a little sure. higher there. Yeah, cold. but the point being, this but, is a very significant tax. So yeah, yeah I think but, to, to make it a, clear between uh, like the two taxes, so we've got two gas-related yeah. taxes here. We've right, got the right. severance tax on natural gas drillers, Marcellus Shale drillers. That's tied to gas prices, and that happens at the driller level. So cost could be handed down, but that's less explicit. And mm-hmm. that's also on top of an impact fee that we also have on drillers. We were one of the only states without a severance tax before, if I mean, if this passes, we are right now. Uh, the other tax is a uh, fee tax. And so um, that's, you know, a tax on utility providers. So that's a more direct impact, yeah, so, as so, Charlie was saying. Yeah. So the shale tax is a production end tax. And, and, and that is uh, so far removed from the end user that I just don't know how that how directly that gets passed through to consumers, um, right. but but the uh, gross receipts tax is very definitely a retail end tax, and, and everybody will likely notice, maybe notice or not, depending on how close attention you pay. To mm-hmm. your, uh, and Steve, anything bill. to add on that? Yeah, I just want to uh, point out that um, natural gas customers in their homes or businesses have not paid that gross receipts slash sales tax since right. the late 1990s. The uh, legislature ended that specifically for natural gas users. Now it's back on the books, whereas electrics, um, people that's homes are, are heated by electricity have always have always paid that. Now those with electricity or even with, with, with your phones also right. are going to see an increase on that. So a smaller increase. But the gas component is the it's the biggest single portion of this new revenue package tax wise. But uh, yeah, we're also going to see increases in taxes, a one percent increase on uh, electricity and or was it a one percent increase on phones? It was a smaller increases on both electric bills and your phone bills. Right, and right. and m- more and more homes in Pennsylvania are being heated by natural gas. So you're going to get more people. I think it's close to fifty percent right. now. So as far as that is not a broad based tax, I mean that's a an argument we've heard in the past. But it, I mean, whatever you call it, it's pretty wide reaching. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Katie Meyer, sitting in for Scott Lamar. We're discussing the week in the state capitol with Charlie Thompson, state government reporter for Penn Live, and Steve Essek of The Morning Call. Guys, we were just talking about uh, this sort of tangle of taxes um, that we have, you know, gotten in this new revenue proposal. And I just want to, I think we should just kind of iron out a little bit more the, um, sort of like how we came to have these wide both taxes are on natural gas. Um, it's really it's it's sort of a trade off, right? I mean, Democrats have been pushing so hard for the severance tax. Republicans, I think, were more inclined uh, to support the gross receipts tax. So, uh, Steve, uh, what's what's the playing field like here? Why did we come to this specific conclusion? Well, it, it, it's all about the optics of politics, as people like to say in in the Capitol. The feeling was as as the gross receipts tax on utilities started to percolate, there was a growing sentiment that we can't tax the people before we tax the industry. So it was a political trade-off that they were going to, if they were going to tax the people, they needed a severance tax to do it. And that's how the severance tax basically got on the agenda in a really, really late 
um, time period mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so now these taxes, and if you have any questions, by the way, about any of these things, you want to clarify more points that you think we're missing, uh, we welcome your questions and comments. Call us at 1-800-729-7532, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org, or leave a question or a comment on witf.org or our Facebook page. Um, but so I, I want to get into to the taxes, the um, the utility taxes and the severance tax, major components of this bill. Not even the biggest components of the bill, though, because $1.3 billion that has to fill in this $2 billion gap is done via borrowing. And that's been, um, you know, a part of this conversation for a long time. I know, Charlie, we've all written about this. But uh, it's an unpopular thing, but it's also an unpopular thing that everybody seems to support. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because uh, there, that's that's one of those things that nobody wants to own, but but everybody's happy to hold their nose and and jump in the pool together because there's nothing else that that they'd rather do when they look around at the at the the list of bad options. Um, but basically, what we're talking about here is um, there has been a joint decision to float a bond issue of, I believe it will be close to $1.3 billion, maybe a little less in terms of what actually becomes proceeds to the state. Um, so, they're, And they're going to uh, borrow this bond issue against our share of the national tobacco settlement from, I believe it was 1998. Mm-hmm. And that's when, money uh, that's been going to health care yeah. services primarily. Right. All, all the uh, many states' attorney generals ha- had um, been involved in a, in a multi-state settlement negotiation with big tobacco over public health care costs attributed to smoking. Mm-hmm. And um, that is a, that is a uh, sort of a long-term trust fund payment that comes into our state every year to the tune of uh, about, um, it's more than $300 million every year. And I think it's more along the lines of like $350 million a year. It's right. averaging now. Right. And um, so the, the the plan is that, that we are now, that, that money has been allocated to about five or six different healthcare-related buckets and helped to uh, support programs mm-hmm. ranging from research against cancer to smoking cessation programs to even helping support the state's budget for um, long-term care for for lower-income seniors. And um, what will happen is now that $350 million will be raking off uh, maybe a third, maybe 25% to a third of it to pay for debt service on this bond issue. Right. So, so I mean, bottom line, we're going to be borrowing $1.3 billion to fill in this budget yeah. deficit. So, yeah, and, and, that, and that's kind of, I mean, it's <laughs> it just goes to show you how complicated some of these things can be. But I also should say borrowing is something governments do uh, frequently. There's also another component of this revenue package other than like a tax on fireworks or something. Um, so we're not going to get into that too much because that's pretty small. But um, there's a... Hold, hold on yeah. a second. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Steve has something to say about fireworks. I'm a guy. <laughs> but the um, the uh, fireworks, part of that is Pennsylvanians can now, will 
legally be allowed to buy fireworks at a store. Before, you can't buy it. It's kind of like having to get someone from New Jersey to come over the river (laughs) to buy your fireworks. But under this this, uh, thing, you'd be able to walk into a store and buy fireworks. He's going to go buy some fireworks. Um, Yes, so the fireworks tax is a component, or the fireworks expansion, or whatever you want to call it, is a component of this. Steve, there's also, you had a good article uh, a week or so ago about uh, sales tax expansion, specifically online sales tax. So um, what is, what's the situation there? Just as briefly as you can, because it gets complicated. Yeah, it, it's, it's extremely complicated. Uh, states in uh, uh, states are precluded, supposedly under federal law, from taxing uh, internet companies that do not have a physical location inside their borders or have staff or some other kind of contract um, retailers, specifically small companies that are selling on eBay or selling on some other platform or eBay in general, uh, they are precluded from from taxing them if they're not here. Other states, however, have started to fight back because and and have ignored federal law that dates to 1998 when less than half of all households in America had computers and 0.02% of all um, sales were, were on the internet. They've started to fight back and ignore federal law. That has led to multiple um, U.S. Supreme Court decisions, um, and uh, th- those cases are, are now going through the uh, docket system. So Pennsylvania, uh, after my – I'm not saying my story had anything to do with it. I, d- I don't know. <laughs> but it came out that – it really came out of left field on this where the Senate included – a uh, provision that they think they can get 43 point some million dollars by have by forcing eBay and some other online retailers to remit their sales taxes uh, here in Pennsylvania. Now, that, of course, will probably lead to federal lawsuits. Definitely some federal lawsuits. Yeah. We've seen this in other states where they've tried to pass similar R- laws. Right. And, and, and the U.S. Supreme Court decisions that preclude this are 50 years old right. and a quarter century old, too, respectively. And they uh, dealt with mail-order companies. Yeah, so, a very different situation. Yeah, very, very different situation. I mean, and all you got to do is look here in central Pennsylvania where you have um, the Bonton department store, right. you know, that's partially headquartered in York. And that, that stock is trading pennies on the dollar right now. Right. I, brick and mortar stores, I think in general, are not doing well. It's well, all I, online now. So, the, yeah. you know, the retail landscape has changed. Exactly. And all those jobs, and, and that's what Senator Corman argued publicly, is it's not fair anymore to the brick and mortar stores who are paying the sales tax, remitting the sales tax, or Playing the uh, paying the PIT and that sort of thing. We'll see how it plays out in court. <laughs> we certainly will. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch. We have a call on uh, from Jim in Enola, who uh, has something to say. I think about the severance tax. Uh, Jim, are you on the line? I am. Hi, uh, hi, Katie. Uh, the, before I get to what I really wanted to say, I I don't think you've done a good enough job of plugging your podcast. It's ah. excellent. <laughs> I listen to it every week, and uh, while these two gentlemen are great guests. Uh, on your uh, podcast, my favorite guest is John Bear. Uh, I love John Bear. <laughs> the real thing I wanted to say was uh, I and a lot of other people have been criticizing the uh, Republicans in the legislature for refusing to come to grips with reality on the need for a shale tax, a, 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 a severance tax. Uh, and we are, of course, the only state with significant Marcellus resources that doesn't have a 
excuse me, a, a severance tax. Uh, you know, I, I applaud the Republicans in the uh, state Senate for uh, for finally sticking their necks out a bit and uh, and voting for this. Uh, there is no question that the uh, Marcellus Shale interests and the oil interests are going to lobby like fury to get the uh, the House to not approve this. And I would call on my fellow citizens, if you think it is a good idea for them to be uh, taxed in Pennsylvania the same way that they're taxed everywhere else, you need to get on the phone and email to your uh, state uh, uh, legislators and tell them that this compromise is a very good idea and they need to vote for it. So thank you. All right, Jim, thank you. And thank you for reminding me that I do host a podcast Um, every week. Steve and Charlie have both been guests on there multiple times. Every week we do one uh, Friday morning at Little Lamb's Coffee Shop down the street from the Capitol. Those go up every week. um, And you should listen to them if you want to, to hear conversations like this regularly. And they're available on iTunes or really wherever you get your podcasts. But yes, so Jim's point about the severance tax. Um, Yeah, we're going to hear a lot of different political arguments about this. And uh, Steve, I think, I mean, you know, it usually breaks down Republicans saying it's an inconsistent tax because it's so tied to the price of gas. And it is a smaller amount than, say, the gross receipts tax on natural gas that they're also leveraging. But in in a state with a two-point-some billion-dollar deficit, every little bit counts, and that's the argument being made right now. But also, um, the impact fee, which is a – basically, it's a a matter of semantics. It's a tax on wells that when they are drilled, but that impact fee has been going down every year it's been implemented. The first year that money started rolling in was 2013. It was $225 million, and then it's now $173 million. And the reason it's going down is because the impact fee, there's more value when the wells are new. So the wells are aging. They're not drilling as many because the price of gas is so low, and the price of gas also factors in to the impact fee. Now, part of the severance tax proposal that passed the Senate would would up the impact fee. It basically helps supplement what the impact fee is going to have. So the impact fee right now is $173 million. The Senate bill would say part of that severance tax has to go to put the impact fee at a minimum of $200 million. So I think that is um, part of what uh, Senator Lisa Boscola and Senator Andy Dineman were complaining about when they said they wanted a chunk of that impact fee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and Charlie, anything to add? Just add something about the shale tax. Um, it is actually um, a tax that um, has the potential to grow um, for the state over time as um, gas production. You know, we've, we've been in a lull here where gas prices have been really low, and, and that has kind of cut into the production. But as that turns around and our production grows again, um, you know, this is a volume-based tax. So um, the more that is produced, the more revenue Pennsylvania is going to get. And as prices grow, it is structured so that the, the state takes a little bit higher cut. Um, this average annual price figure that is structured on right now is, is about 265 per thousand cubic feet. Um, that, that, I, I just say that to say that that, that sets the, the tax rate at two cents. Um, If that price grows to more than $6 per thousand cubic feet, the state's share grows to 3.5 cents per thousand cubic feet. So the point is that 
the more production there is and the, and the higher the prices, um, what's $100 million today could you know, be significantly more five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, because Absolutely. the Marcellus Shale is, is a, a, a bonanza for Pennsylvania. I mean, it's supposed to uh, provide gas for for uh, several decades. Yep, absolutely. One more, actually, one more point that I do want to make on the Marcellus Shale thing. Uh, I think important to note, you know, this sort of only could happen through political deal making. And one of the deals that lawmakers made, uh, Democratic lawmakers, was that uh, they would change environmental regulations a little bit, um, or some say significantly, uh, to allow Republicans to you know be able to support this. There's a trade-off. Uh, different opinions on whether or not that trade-off was good enough. I think a lot of House people think it wasn't, but House Republicans, but uh, and some Democrats are unhappy too. But what this would do is essentially uh, make it a little bit easier to get permits from the Department of Environmental Conservation. Uh, well, yeah, it, it would kind of speed up the permit yeah. process. Just, just uh, one example that that was given was if the DEP has forty five days to to um, answer a permit. It has to do it in 45 days, regardless of whether it seeks changes or not, like the back and forth. I think under current regulations or law, it's um, that 45-day clock can start over, over, and over again. This time, it's just a straight 45 days. That's supposed to speed up the permitting process that way, and that's just one, one example. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know, Katie, to your point, um, it, it is fascinating to hear the back and forth on this Um because uh, I, I was um, talking to uh, one of the uh, lobbyists around the Capitol who represents some gas company clients and uh, was asking him about, you know, the regulatory reforms that, that go with this. And, you know, basically the big one is, is what Steve mentioned, that, that the 45-day clock can't be reset and reset and reset. Um, so there, there is more predictability in the timeline on the permit review. But also, because DEP is so understaffed because of budget cuts, you know, they, they have backlogs there. And they, they have a, a proposal that would um, permit the department to outsource permit review to, to uh, private, private reviewers if they feel it's necessary, as I understand that. And um, so the, these are some of the things that, that they're changing and um, – and uh, this this lobbyist kind of shrugged his shoulders at that and, and told me, well, I, as I told somebody today, I, I think we've been sold a very expensive piece of candy. <laughs> and uh, so so they're not entirely happy with this right. brokered deal. The environmentalists are not happy with this deal. Um, there will be people who are saying it's a Marcellus Shale tax light because the, the gross receipts tax part, which the consumers are paying, is netting four times as much as the the producer's part. Um, so it, it is absolutely a deal that is, is leaving a lot of people feeling like they got less than they wanted. And I guess that's the uh, that's the definition of a pure compromise. It's the nature Ooh. of deals. Um, yep. We are also going to get into, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, now this has to go to the House where we have really very little idea of what's going to happen. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Charlie Thompson, state government reporter for Penn Live, and Steve Essick of The Morning Call. Um, so the House still has to vote on this proposal. Um, I guess we'll just start it there. Uh, Charlie, what are you hearing from House members? Well, um, I, I, we are actually trying to dig into that a little bit today. Um, so I, I'm 
I'll know more uh, <laughs> next time you have me on. All right. But, um, but, but we have heard a little bit from leaders, yeah, right? But, but seriously, uh, what, what we know officially is that they put a memo, memo out yesterday, a few hours after the Senate had voted, and um, kind of uh, harumphed that uh, these bills were neither agreed to nor shared with the House in advance of the committee meetings late Wednesday night. So we certainly have no intentions to rubber stamp these bills. And that was from a memo uh, that was drafted by the House Republican leadership team. And then they then they rattled their sabers a little further and said, from the beginning, our goal was to protect the wallets of taxpayers. Make no mistake, that is still where our caucus stands. Right. So, you know, they're... they're um, they're saying they, they're at once uh, assuring their members that they did not make some kind of a deal behind their backs, and um, but also kind of telling the world that look, we have to figure it out. Um, their, their immediate plan, as I understand it, is to just take some time, hit a pause button, and uh, go over the the code bills and the tax bills that have been sent by the Senate. Um, see what they can live with, see what they can't live with, and, and then uh, I, they will either try to engage the Senate and the governor in a, uh, in a final round of negotiations, or they will perhaps try to come up with an alternative plan on their own. And they, they tried that last weekend, and it didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah, it worked pretty badly, I would say. Um, Steve, anything to add on this situation? Uh, yeah, uh, the uh, House Republican leadership says that they they passed a balanced budget in April, sent it to the um, Senate, and they claimed their their budget was balanced by expanded gaming, specifically putting slot machines, lack of a better word, in bars, restaurants, you know, all over Pennsylvania. That's like 14,000 slot machines. Um, They also claim that their their, uh, liquor privatization, basically selling off the LCB, Liquor Control Board, um, would uh, generate extra revenue. But in fact, at least as it re- relates to their liquor plans, their liquor plans actually create a $195 million hole in the state budget as that's concerned. So at least when it, um, the, uh, as, as, at least as it relates to that, their budget right there doesn't add up. I mean, uh, so uh, I'd like to see what they come up with and if there is, um, some pushback by more moderate Republicans, and most of those moderate Republicans are in southeast Pennsylvania right now, and um, see if they can cobble together some sort of deal with um, the Democrats in that chamber. But as we saw in 2015-16, when a deal like that was uh, close to happening, House Speaker Mike Terzai pulled the plug, gaveled out the session, and went home for Christmas break. Mm-hmm. So um, – We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's definitely it's hard to predict. We've got uh, we've got two callers on the line here. I think both having questions or comments about the shale tax, which it's not surprising because this is one of the most uh, controversial parts. I'm still of, pinching myself <laughs> of the budget. Uh, we've got Mike in Harrisburg. Mike, uh, are you on the line? Hi, how you doing? Hi, good. Uh, I've just noticed that a side effect of the gas in Pennsylvania, as you see, TMI is scheduled to close. Three Mile Island, yeah. Yes, and that's principally because of the uh, cheap gas for generating electricity. And that trend is likely to continue. And when you start shutting down nuclear plants in Pennsylvania, 
um, as that power is replaced by gas or uh, other sources, those plants have been huge taxpayers in communities where they're located. No, oh, yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, I, your point is well taken too. Um, the gas industry in Pennsylvania has definitely uh, started pushing out nuclear power. So, Mike, thank you for that comment. Sure, and we haven't heard the last of that debate. I mean, there there is a nuclear energy caucus um, that has formed yes. that is uh, trying to talk about whether the state should be involved in some kind of a bailout. But, but that is going to be a, a next year story, next year or two story. Absolutely. Lots of feelings about nuclear. We've also got uh, Brett and Ephrata on the line. Um, Brett, you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Uh, hey, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I, keep, I keep hearing people saying tax the businesses more, tax the gas companies more. But how long, how those people realize that businesses consider taxes a part of expense? So if you increase the tax on a business... They're just going to turn around and raise the price of the product. I mean, I did, I do it from my job. I'm a small, independent businessman. But if I was taxed, I'd raise the rates that I charge my customers. Um, there's no free tax. People are going to pay taxes one way or the other. Yep. And um, I'm just tired of hearing tax business, tax business, because it's a customer in the end that gets paid taxed. And like you were saying about TMI closing, the cheap gas in Pennsylvania, one reason is lower taxes on it. Mm-hmm. You raise taxes, the cost of our business, the cost is going to go up to the business. All right, Brett, thank you for your call. Guys, any comment on that, Steve? Uh, yeah, um, that gentleman is exactly right But because everything is always pushed out to the consumer in, in one way or another. And there's a part of the Senate a bill uh, that, that we didn't get into, yeah. and that uh, will probably impact the consumer in some way because the Senate bill imposes a tax in coming years on the PJM interconnection. It's the regional transmission organization that coordinates the movement of wholesale electricity in all or parts of Pennsylvania and a dozen other states and Washington, D.C. Now, that tax, should it be implemented, is going to be complicated and it's going to take several years from what I understand for for them to implement that. But if you're taxing the uh, transmission grid, that eventually is going to head over to the consumer in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in Pennsylvania or in the other states. Yep. Uh, Charlie, anything to add? Um, Only that, um, you know, there's traditionally been kind of a three-legged stool in state government where um, a chunk of the um, state's revenue comes from the sales tax and a chunk comes from personal income tax and a chunk comes from business taxes, setting aside, you know, all the things like the lottery and that sort of thing. But, but, um, and, and over time, uh, that slice of the pie that has been devoted to business taxes um, has been a relatively smaller share uh, in part due to things like this um, multi-year phase out of the capital stock and franchise tax, which is kind of a tax on, on business assets that mm. um, the business sector complained a generation ago that Pennsylvania had a high corporate net income tax, the tax on profits, and then this separate tax on, on these assets and fixed property that was kind of like a double whammy and it was making our business climate bad. So the state did respond to that. And, you know, I guess there's you can get all kinds of arguments as to whether that was actually, in retrospect, a good policy move or not, because it has sort of tied their hands fiscally. The, the budget would be a lot easier now if, if 
they were still getting that revenue. But the the point is, all that is to say that they have been sensitive to, they have been, I would say they have been very sensitive to, to business tax concerns in the legislature under the predominantly Republican rule over the last 20 years. So, you know, they haven't had a, they haven't had a deaf ear to that. Mm. Yeah, and 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 along uh, the the lines which Charlie mentioned with the capital stock and franchise tax, I mean that that was um, Governor Ridge started phasing that down, and Rendell phased it down too. But Ridge and Rendell stopped phasing those down, stopped cutting it in bad economic times. Governors uh, Tom Corbett and Tom Wolf sped it up and kept. Uh, dropping it to the point that that Wolf eliminated it. Now, when Corbett started cutting it again, that was bringing in eight hundred and some million dollars right there. So now that eight hundred and some million dollars is gone, and that just so happens to be roughly the dollar amount that the state needs for recurring right. revenue, according right. to the credit rating agencies. So they made their own bed, is my point. Yeah. Uh, so that's I think uh, kind of leads us into the last point I wanted to hit, which is sort of like zoom out big picture. Um, how does this affect our overall revenue situation? So we have, as we've mentioned, you know, $2 billion hole in the budget. Um, part of that needs to be recurring revenue. Steve, as you mentioned, credit rating agencies have <laughs> really warned us several times that we need to have real revenue in the budget. Real revenue means it's not a fund transfer. It's not borrowing. It's not a one-time thing that we're somehow getting just to plug a gap. It's revenue that's going to come back year after year. We have been... I don't want to be too harsh, but we haven't been super good at finding recurring revenue, have we? No, no we haven't. And and th- that's because that there has been um, staunch opposition to any tax increase of any kind. And conversely, when, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, a, a lot of lawmakers in both chambers, but particularly the Republicans, will say, well, well we, we, we need to cut. OK, but where are they going to cut? When they cut and, and the cut impacts their backyard, they complain, they they cry, they whine. <laughs> and it's just it's kind of like pathetic. It, it, it's like a bait and switch. I, at one point, they, they, they go to their voters and say, I cut your taxes. I'm going to control government. But when government wants to cut in your backyard, they start complaining because when you look at the numbers and that's at the state or the federal level, when you look at the numbers, the number one and number two employer in Pennsylvania is government. So, I mean, prime example is when the Wolf administration and correction secretary John Wetzel wanted to cut two prisons. I mean, the the, the outcry across Pennsylvania on that was because a lot of these prisons were in rural areas and those jobs, the, those places were the number one employers. So you, they, they want to have their cake and eat it, too. You know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like put up or shut up either cut. What the House, in my opinion, wants to do, and you, you've almost heard it sometimes, is is they want to have Governor Wolf, the, the legislature passed a $32 billion budget, but they want Wolf to cut that spending. They right. want him to blue line it. Therefore, they want him to politically own those cuts. And Wolf, I think, sees that political writing on the wall and is not willing to do it and saying, ah, you guys passed a $32 billion budget. I get to sit back and spend it. So mm-hmm. really, he's not going to play into that. Tom Corbett, on the other hand, just a little history here, um, before my time, but you know, the legislature in, in, in one of his budgets put in there, uh, put a provision in there that, that gave the admin, Tom Corbett's administration the right to cut human services spending by like a billion dollars. They did that. 
And politically, they ended up owning that. Mm -hmm. And the legislature walked away from that. And I don't think I think Tom Wolf and his administration understand that and see that. And they don't want to own that, especially with another election coming around the corner. Charlie, I want you to chime in for a second. But uh, we also have another person on the line who wants to weigh in on this, uh, you know, revenue raising versus cutting costs conversation. Uh, Brad, are you on the line? Yes, the conversation always uh, resolves around uh, revenue, but never cost-cutting. And you point to the fact that uh, you're a major employer, but that doesn't let you off the hook to operating efficiently like any household or any other business. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, you know, that's a point that we hear all the time in the legislature, especially from Republicans. So, you know, thank you. You're, you know, you're well in line in bringing that up. Um, but the conversation does often come back to cutting. But the problem is, as Steve was saying, they can't agree on where to cut. And I think yeah. we had some, um, you know, very telling comments from Jake Corman on the floor of the House yesterday, where he was saying, like, there are certain cost drivers in this state that we cannot control, uh, biggest ones being prisons and health and human services spending. And, right. uh, you know, those things, those costs have risen. We have to pay more for those. But he did say, and this is true, uh, costs in areas that we do control, that the state does control, have not risen. They've dropped in a lot of areas. So when you have that, when you have costs that are rising that the state can't do much about, like, you know, Medicaid costs, for instance, um, and then you have other things that are being cut to compensate for that, it becomes, I mean, I think Republicans and Democrats in the legislature would agree, it becomes very difficult to find additional cuts. Uh, Charlie. Katie, if I might add, on the cost-cutting side, there is this for for those that um, that demand more cost-cutting and a, and a sleeker, more streamlined state government. Um, in the Human Services Code, one of the, the sort of the operator's manuals to the budget that, that trails the, the actual financial bill and the tax bill, um, there is an effort, um, the Senate passed this, um, to impose a work or work search requirement on mm. able-bodied adults who are on medical assistance. Yes, good point. So, um, you know, that's that's an effort to try to um, get more accountability for people that are using our, our social safety net and hopefully get them into the workforce and, and get them on a path towards self-sufficiency to the point where maybe someday they don't need to use medical assistance anymore and maybe they're actually contributing to the pot like... Uh, every other taxpayer. So that that's going to be um, an interesting debate to watch because, you know, the flip side of that is, well, some of those people are, you know, they're, they're on medical assistance because they're in a bad way because maybe they're substance abusers or or they have mental health problems or, or something like that. So, so we'll have to see how that plays out. I mean, there's, as always, there's decent arguments on, on all sides, but maybe up to like a half million Pennsylvanians would, would face this work search requirement for medical assistance. Um, And then there's another piece in that human services code that just says that medical assistance, Medicaid, uh, the state share of that has run over budget for many, many years. And and there's a blanket provision in there that just basically says, hey, Governor Wolf, if if you're going to come back at the end of next year and say, oh, we overspent our medical assistance line by um, $200 so we need a supplemental appropriation on that. Um, Before you do that, we want you to come hand in hand with an 
a proposal to wring costs out of our medical assistance program. And to do that, this is a federal state program. They would have to go get approval from the federal government. But the point is, they're, they're saying we're not just going to write a blank check anymore for medical assistance. And they're trying to control that big cost driver. So we'll see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure the House will be for it. I guess the big question there is whether Governor Wolf will will take that as part of the overall um, budget deal. Yeah. And Wolf has said the work requirements, at least, um, he did not like that proposal. He was not for it. He did not say he would veto it. Right. Um, so, and, and it's not it's not that draconian, Katie. I mean, mm. there are work search requirements. Um, I mean, just just as I as I see it, I, I don't think they're necessarily that draconian. I mean, there are work search requirements in place for for the food stamp program, sure. and, um, the TANF program, the general cash assistance program that the federal government has. So. And it makes some sense, I think you can argue, to apply it to medical assistance for, for those people. We're not talking about um, disabled. We're not talking about the elderly. We're not talking about pregnant women. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It yeah, will and, indeed. Yes, yeah, Steve. And uh, to, to, to that last caller's point about controlling costs, I mean, he, he's exactly right. I mean, state government has admitted it, it's messed up some programs. I mean, take, for example, the uh, workers' comp mm-hmm. program. That that was an issue in which the state's computer system is very old, and they wasted tens of millions of dollars on a contract that is now in, in litigation. But uh, that, that's just one example of of waste. I wouldn't call it fraud or abuse. It's just a mess up probably. Um, So there are points to that. And along with Charlie said, the state is controlling, trying to control its prison costs by um, passing some some programs, some laws that that have reduced the state's population and therefore allowed the state to close at least one prison so far. And there is legislation percolating now i don't know where it's going to go where you know those they they want to reduce some um some prison sentences for for nonviolent offenders and therefore bring that prison population down yeah. so they Get are trying to work minimum that sentences. Yeah. yes so there definitely are things in the works uh there's actually there's a component of governor wolf's budget plan way back at the beginning of this year that would you know consolidate major health agencies department of health department of human services um and i think Do they have another one still in there? I know they took out aging and drugs and alcohol. Anyway, um, major department consolidations would happen. Um, That's, you know, not in this budget yet per se, but they still say they still want to do that. It would only save like $8 million or so, um, you know, on actual costs. But. And and along those lines, uh, another component of Wolf's er early proposal that is no longer there is um, the $25 per head fee that municipalities would pay for full-time state police coverage. That has since uh, landed on the cutting room floor. So, But uh, that's another proposal that is no longer out there. Yep. And so, you know, we could talk for a very long time about these things. Um, And if you want to hear us talk about them more, again, listen to the podcast, State House Sound Bites on WITF.org. You can find it there and figure out how to listen to it. Um, We're out of time for today, though. So, again, thanks to our guests, uh, Charlie Thompson, for uh, reporter for Live, and Steve Essick, uh, Morning Calls Harrisburg correspondent. Scott Lamar returns Monday, and Smart Talk's going to look then at the recent outbreak of synthetic marijuana overdoses, and we'll discuss nuclear anxiety in the modern era. Smart Talk supported by Pinnacle Health and Capital Blue Cross.